Welcome to the Binge Breakers Podcast. I'm Jacqueline. I am here to teach you how I overcame bulimia and my binge eating disorder, and how you can too. Through simple steps of mind management, repairing your relationship with yourself, understanding your habits, and intuitive eating. Disclaimer. This recording is not intended to be utilized as medical advice or a medical diagnosis. If you think you're in need of medical attention or treatment, please seek it immediately. This recording will also contain sensitive subjects such as binging and purging, weight and depression. Please listen at your own discretion and do what you think is best for you. We don't have to go into it, um, but mm-hmm. how what I believe about weight loss is that you your foundation has to be, like we have to have healed the binge eating. We have to have healed the 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 purging we have to have had a, established a normal relationship with food to then acquire aesthetic goals so that's sort mm-hmm. of like my stance on it but i think it's so taboo to talk about weight loss in the in the binging space and i'm like hello that is why we started binging to begin with like this is yeah. why this is you know really like the crux of it so no well if you don't mind us just kind of getting started because that's a really good topic to start on I find the eating disorder community, while it is amazing, and there's so many resources out, out there, they've done a really horrible job showing people how you could lose weight in a healthy way and how to make it healthy. And it's like either you stay, you, you recover and you never ever touch weight loss again, or you, like, if you do touch weight loss, you go straight back into your eating disorder. And I do think that people, like, I don't talk about weight loss a lot on this podcast because I'm, it's about recovery. It's not about weight loss. Uh, and I don't think they should be done in tandem. People do struggle with the idea, like with their weight. And there are some points where it can be important to try to lose weight or they want to lose weight, but they feel that because of the eating disorder community said, you can't do it without being disordered, then they never try for it. And I feel like it sometimes drives them back into their behaviors, because they're like, well, if I can't lose weight in a healthy way, I might as well just lose weight in an eating disorder way. It's like, no, there is a balanced way to do it. But you can't, like you said, you have to have the foundation of being in a healthy mindset with food, of healing the binge eating verse, the disordered eating verse. And then if you want to embark on a weight loss journey. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it is the foundation. I use this analogy of like building a home. So if you have a goal of weight loss and you're trying to build a home on wonky foundation, which is still binging, still purging, still feeling batshit crazy. Oh, shoot. Can I, can I swear? Yeah. 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 Yeah, Okay. Oh yeah. I think I emailed you about that. Yeah, you did. I have a potty mouth and my kids aren't around. So, but when (laughs) you have, you know, but when you have that wonky like food obsessed relationship with food then naturally of course like weight loss is going to be 10 times harder for you and almost never possible I don't want to say never but I I don't like to talk absolutes but you're making it so much harder on yourself because you're dealing with all of this over here so it's the obsession you're right when you're like complete and you're you're sort of you're completely obsessed with food it's so hard to lose weight when you're obsessed with food Right. But the thing, the thing that I love that you touched upon too, Jacqueline, is that we have this like anti-dieting culture that very much like tells us that the overall message there is, well, don't, don't lose weight or, you know, give up the idea of weight loss. Mm -hmm. When, when, what I found to be true with a lot of the clients that I work with is that when they have a history of binging and when they have a history of, you know, potential purging or, you know, again, be it, self-induced vomiting or over-exercising that 
they tend to have excess weight on themselves. Like there is excess weight as a result of the binging, as a result of those like, you know, compensatory behaviors. But the Mm -hmm. reality is that if they want to lose weight, it's not that it's not necessarily that they don't know what to do. It's that they've created fear in doing that. Mm-hmm. And that's where, like, when I work with my clients, it's like bridging the gap between getting out of the fear and starting to trust themselves, because that's what all of this is about. It's that lack of trust. The eating disorder is rooted in fear and in insecurity and in shame and distrust. And so when I talk about weight loss, which I love talking about weight loss, I love it because it's literally like you coming home to yourself. It's like, okay, I have this goal. I have this desire and let's talk about trust. Let's talk about partnering with my body in a beautiful way. That's not rooted in scarcity and fear and insecurity, but like rather this, I have this goal and I want to accomplish it, but I want to step outside of how I've gone about it in this self-punishing way and do it in a way that feels awesome and incredible. And can be fun and actually be fun to do. So that's what I I love working with, with my clients. It's so fun. Well, it's cool to show someone who thought it was impossible that it actually is possible. And I agree when you don't trust yourself and there's a scarcity that fear in yourself, that's when you go into the behaviors that aren't so nice, that aren't so helpful. If you really, because I feel like a lot of people when they purge or binge or something like that, it's because they've just messed up on their diet somehow. And, and not always, it depends on the situation, but they'll have overeaten or had a mess up. And then because they don't trust themselves, they don't trust this is just gonna be one time or they think that they can't cope with it. That's when they rely on the purging or maybe the binge and the purge, that sort of stuff, the restriction. And it's like, no, you if you trusted yourself truly, which of course people don't have a lot of trust in themselves because they've gone through an eating disorder. But if you really did trust yourself, you wouldn't do those things. And if you trusted yourself, you would be, much more patient with weight loss and be able to do it in a sustainable way versus this crash diet and burn situation. A hundred percent. And, you know, and I think that this is where like the anti-dieting world very much praises intuitive eating. And I, Mm -hmm. I love the concept of intuitive eating, but my spin on it is let's become intentional eaters. And, Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is like, you know, let's understand the diet. So in my program is called ditch diet brain. And so I talk okay. a lot about diet brain, meaning like the all or nothing mentality, the rules that you are attached to around food. And even in recovery, Jacqueline, even in recovery, I think, you know, for me personally, I was still married to eating in a very strategic way because mm-hmm. I was like, okay, well, if I eat this way, that means I'm not going to binge. You know, I was I knew that if I eat three meals and two snacks and dessert every night, I knew that that meant that I wasn't going to be binging or purging. You know, I just knew that that was awesome for me and I felt safe eating it in that way. And so then when I started to apply the principles of intuitive eating, I felt like, okay, well, if I just eat whatever I want, whenever I want, oh, okay, that's going to help me to lose weight. But I was still so out of touch with with my hunger fullness cues at that time. Mm, Like I was still very, you know, I was still very much in this programmed eating way. And so I had, you know, I had my hunger and fullness cues back on board from my days of severe restricting and over-exercising and all of those sorts of things, but I still didn't trust myself. And so when I had someone telling me, 
And I started to work with a coach a little bit on intuitive eating. I gained 15 pounds. Cause I was like, so here I think I literally gained 15 pounds and I was like, wait a minute, what the fuck? This is not what I signed up for. Mm -hmm. And so I almost took it as a free for all to kind of eat what I wanted. Was I Mm -hmm. binging? No, but it was like, oh, wait. I was eating in the name of not restricting. So I was using mm-hmm. it against myself. Does that make sense? Yeah. And a so- lot of people, they've gone through restriction. They almost want to do the exact opposite. Of it, and they go, well, this isn't restriction. So we're going to eat. And it's like, well, yeah, it's not restriction, but it's also not intuitive eating. It's not, it's not trusting uh, your actual hungerfulness cues. Right. Exactly. And so mm-hmm. with my program, I do a lot of intentional, you know, intentional eating, meaning we're taking your diet brain. We're really kind of looking under that, um, you know, un- under the microscope, like really, what are you thinking? What are you believing about food, about your body, about all of those things? What does your future self look like? What are What's your future goal? Not just with weight, but your future life, your goal life that you want to be like coexisting with food. What does that even look like? look like let's get a clear picture of that then we talk about partnering with your body and I'm big into understanding how your brain works into understanding your nervous system because Mm -hmm. you've got to understand and partner with those emotions and this is where that conversation I think you and I even started talking about with urges food urges you know you know food urges in my opinion you know the big bad wolf of binge urges do those subside sure because you're reacting to them in a different way so they're not habitual so they're not so habitualized in the way that's Mm -hmm. like so fearing and it's like this big bad monster that you're trying to you know overcome but food urges in my opinion they're not going to go away they're just Mm -hmm. not you know um at least in my experience and I'm almost a decade in recovery oh wow yeah you know and and so for me go ahead it's no I was just gonna say it's I people always ask me on consults or something like, so do you still get urges, that sort of stuff? And I always tell them like, well, yeah, I do, but they're not, they're not nearly as severe. They're not as intense. They're easier to listen to, but that's because like you, we've reacted to them differently over time and we've changed our thought process about them. But I really just view it as kind of leftover remnants of my eating disorder and just this weird option that I know is available in my brain. And that's why it does that. But I think if I were still like, people are so fearful of those or just having them, they make them mean so many things. And I love what the life coach school says about it's just faulty wiring, right? It's just, let's not make a big deal out of it. It's just your brain doing what it thinks it's helpful. And then at first it's hard at first you are very fearful of it because you react to it in a very extreme way. But over time, when you teach yourself, you don't have to react to it and you change your thought process around those urges. They're really not too bad. They just sound like a voice, another voice in your head or something like that. At least it's my experience. Yeah, no, absolutely. A hundred percent. And I call them thought errors. Yeah. Like that's like exactly what they are. They're just like, oh yeah, of course I'm thinking that. And I think when we normalize the urge thoughts, like when we're just like, of course I'm thinking that, like I expect that to be there after however many months or years that you've been struggling, you just almost expect it to be there. Then you're like, oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Then, Then it's just like, yeah, naturally, of course, this is a product of how the brain works. And that's why for me and my healing journey, once I really understood how the brain worked, 
that was the ultimate game changer for me. I was looking for so many people to fix me, therapists, hypnotherapists. I did Reiki mm. massages for Christ's sake. Like I did all the things trying to like look for the thing to fix me, to poof, make the binging and poof, make the purging go away. And I had to understand how my body and my brain actually worked for me to realize I was the one that had to fix it. Like I'm not mm. fixed, but like it was all on me to change it. And That's I really got to powerful. Yeah. Yeah. I got to decide I think, that. But you're constantly looking because there are things to fix, I guess, if you want to use that terminology, right? But you're I knew you're trying to be careful about it. But really, like once you accept like, oh, this is who I am, how do we work with this person? How do we change that a little bit and not try to solve everything? There are some things that probably need to be solved yeah but like if you just accept okay I'm someone who binges and purchase I'm someone who has those those urges and desires we don't necessarily need to stop the urges and desires from coming we need to change how we react to them and learn how to behave with it it's um I hear recently she was just talking about self-help I'm reading that new book by Jeanette McCurdy like I'm glad my mom died and she was she did a chapter about she was going through self-help books and she said I need to um constantly be working on changing my habits um even though continual life situations will come up that will challenge them and it's like yeah i think people think they're never going to have any urges again they're never going to have any struggles again it's like no if you learn how to handle them even if they're still coming then you have all the power when you figure out how you react versus trying to change the behavior itself yeah a hundred percent and i mean i will say jacqueline i have two children i have two boys mm -hmm. and they're the loves of my life, Dean and Dominic. And but uh -huh. I will say that, you know, I had to go through my healing journey, but even then I still had pregnancy and I still went through IVF with my second. And that was such a challenging time in my life. And, you know, they say that eating disorders sprout during, you know, periods of transition and all those sorts of things. And yeah, for sure. You know, seeing my body change for the first time with my first child through pregnancy, that was incredibly difficult, you know, and even through IVF and doing the shots and the hormones and all of those things and putting my body through that duress just to try to get pregnant. I mean, mm -hmm. there was a lot of emotional eating that I was doing during that time, but the beautiful part, Jacqueline, during all of that was that I was so aware of what the fuck I was doing. Like I was so, okay, yeah. you mm -hmm. know, like I was just like, I'm eating emotionally and I know why. And this is just what I'm doing in the moment. And I'm okay with it. Like it was yeah. just the power of permission, the power of awareness and just, you know, just giving myself the power of I'm making this decision and I'm owning it. And I like my reasons mm -hmm. you know? and it was There's... just, that, yeah, they're so powerful. Yeah, there's such a people, it sounds insane when you tell someone who's inside of an eating disorder of give yourself permission to do these things. If you do binge, if you do purge, if you do emotionally eat, all those things, at least own that you're doing it, be aware that you're doing it and pay attention and don't kind of be like, I shouldn't do this in the guilt trip, just really own it. There's so much power in that. And that's what I did. The last six months of me binging was very intentional and aware. I'm just like, I know I'm doing this. This, this, and, and because I knew I was doing it, I wasn't so guilty about it. I didn't feel so bad about it. And then I was able to pay more attention. And I started realizing this sucks. Like, it's not very fun. I don't know if I want to keep on doing it. And when you do it from your own power, you know easily where you can change it too. But 
tell me what was it i'm firstly i am so scared i, I think i want to have kids but i'm so scared of pregnancy not because i don't think i can can't handle it i think i could it's just terrifying to, to know your body's changing i will admit fully i have a huge fear of that but tell me how you went through that how did you handle pregnancy and your body changing and were you still struggling with your eating disorder then or it was just emotional eating no okay. no so um so I was very very grateful so I so I struggled um I'll answer your question and kind of go back to give you some backstory so I entered my 30th decade I should say so I was like 28, 29. And that's when I found my coach. And that was the ultimate game changer for me. So in my twenties, that was when I was in the height of my binging, my purging, just in it over exercising. I mean, hiding food, stealing food, replacing roommates, food, doing like the mm, whole night, yeah. um, you know, going to <laughs> classic, dude, just classic. Right. Um, I remember going to grocery stores, spending $50, $60 worth of binge food. And the cashier was like, oh, someone's having a party. And I was like, yeah, I'm having my nieces and nephews over a sleepover at auntie's house. And at the time I didn't even have nieces and nephews, like just acting so uncharacteristic of Stella Rivers, well, Stella Catrano at the time. And it, it, people who knew me would never know that this was my like secret double life that I was having. So like people would describe me as, this outgoing, social, confident, you know, person. But on the inside, I was massively struggling with this fucking disorder that was consuming my entire existence. And so I was really good at faking it. And so anyhow, I found my coach. This was, you know, before I was turning 30, I met my now husband. And, you know, that was my compelling why. You know, Tony Robbins talks about a compelling why. And so for, for me, I had found this person that I could see marrying and I always wanted to be a mom. And I knew that I'm like, wow, this is my opportunity. And I didn't want to re replicate my thirties in what was happening in my twenties. And so that's when I just was like line in the sand moment. Like it was a hard decision of like, this was it for me. I don't give a shit what, what I had to do. I was in and out of therapy and all of that. And it just, nothing like resonated with me because I didn't understand how my brain and body worked. And that was what my coach taught me at the time. And so anyway, I, you know, was really, you know, into my thirties and I was like, that's it. And so Keith and I got married. Um, and at the time I was really, I, I had been, you know, healed. I had been really, um, you know, abstinent from the binging and the purging. And so I had, I was going into my pregnancy and I found out that I was pregnant. And of course it was like, the most amazing thing in the world. I always knew I wanted to be a mom. And then it, what was really a, a mind fuck was my first trimester, I was so sick, like so sick. So I here I was throwing up every morning, multiple times in the morning without self-induced vomiting. Like I wasn't doing this to myself. And I was like, wait a minute, what is happening? Yeah. This is the weirdest thing, you know? I'm sure that'd um, be very triggering in some ways for people who yeah. struggle with purging in the past. For sure. I, you know, and for me, and I remember telling my husband that like, this feels really weird that this is what it feels like. And I'm not mm -hmm. doing this to myself. Cause you know, of course he, he, he knew I came out to him about all my struggles, you know, um, when we were together, but so yeah, but how I dealt with my body changing though, Jacqueline was 
because I was an athlete my entire life. So I, I played three sports in high school. So for me, I really shifted into viewing my body, you know, and, and the function of what it was doing. So mm, I really attached right. to, yeah. So I really attached to, I'm growing this child. I'm growing this baby. I really, you know, I was doing the baby app every single day, looking at like the baby was, you know, this size fruit or this size, you know, um, <laughs> vegetable. And it was just, I was able to really shift out of, you know, rather how much weight I was gaining or any of those things. And I really shifted into like the functionality of my body and the beauty of what it was doing and um, and what it was creating. And I was really able to step into that place of just like acknowledging that. Was it hard? Absolutely. Like it wasn't mm -hmm. easy, you know, especially coming from a disordered eating background and struggling with my relationship with my body of course it had its challenges, but I will say that it was really the most amazing thing to witness that your body was able to do that, to produce a human and, you know, just to, to have this beautiful baby at the end of all of it. You're just like, wow, I did that. And you feel like a Greek goddess after you really do. <laughs> yeah. I hear a lot of people that they give birth. They're like, I am amazing. I have like a yes. mother. I don't know what, but definitely yes. I would imagine you feel that way. It, it was it's absolutely incredible it's the most rewarding thing in the world it's it's more rewarding than the first time you actually purge it's literally like the most amazing I, I could imagine that that's like the ultimate purge right nine months of like binging essentially yeah. and then a purge so yeah the that makes sense Totally. Well, for my firstborn, it was the ultimate eviction because he was like almost two weeks late. I was like, get this kid out of me. I was oh, that like, sounds awful. Jeez. Was, yes, yeah. that was, yeah, that was horrendous. But overall, yeah. though. No, no I think that what you said about treating it like, like you were an athlete, your body, almost I was thinking while you're talking about you're training for a specific sport, the sport was giving mm -hmm. birth to a baby, right? But um it's kind of taking your eyes off being so body focused and focusing more on the function. And while I've never given, I'm, I'm dog mom, but I've never given birth to a baby. Uh, <laughs> I did when I was recovering from my eating disorder, uh, the last year of my binging and purging, I really did start thinking of my body as like what it was doing as a function, what it was providing for me. Even if all I could think was it's breathing for me today. I'm so grateful that it's alive. Just shifting your focus on like what it looks like to others, what it looks like to you and just be like, well, I'm so grateful it exists. I'm so grateful that it pumps blood through my veins. That is such a gift. Um, and it really helped me focus on what I was grateful for, which helped a lot. So I can imagine that would help you during pregnancy too, during both pregnancies. And even after, like I will say, Jacqueline, you know, after there is this societal yeah. pressure of, post baby body snatch back. There's a lot of that for sure. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and even after I was able to, I, I ended up having to do an emergency C-section with my first and oh wow, there was, there was a lot of recovery after that. And, um, really it, the power of patience was, was the lesson that I had to learn, you know, because mm -hmm. again, that athlete in me, I wanted to go for a run and I wanted to lift weights and do all the things. And I, I just, I physically couldn't, like, I, I just couldn't, I was healing from a mm -hmm. massive, massive surgery. And 
you know, I will say that's another whole tangent I could go on. I think in our culture, it's like C-sections are the cop out, you know, C-sections are, there's, no. there's that whole sort of um, dialogue around that, which is fucking absurd, but. I can't um, believe that. Like, oh yeah, I mean, sliced into is a cop out. <laughs> it's such a huge sacrifice you have to make. I would, I would want, I feel like giving birth is probably I- ideal, right? Because you don't have to deal with all the scars and stuff, but. A C-section I'd want to actively avoid because it's so traumatic it is very difficult. Right, right. And there's also, you know, there's studies of complications too for, of a C-section baby versus a, a vaginal birth baby. And but there's just, mm-hmm. you know, all of that. But, you know, suffice to say, you know, I felt pressure for sure, um, self-induced pressure that I put on myself to get back to my pre-baby weight, get back to the pre-baby body that I had. And so- I had, you know, there was internal conflict there for sure. And the way that I navigated that, because it was slow and I was nursing and I had some Mm -hmm. postpartum with Dean. I did. I had some postpartum and it was just a lot to, like, it, it felt like the rug, the rug ripped out from underneath me with my first child. And, you know, you're just, you go from living this single life essentially where you're on your own terms and if you wanted to Mm -hmm. get up and go to you know go to the mall or go shopping or do whatever you could to having this little you know human with you you know just yeah all in pain and and it was a lot to, to really wrap my head around at the time and so um so for me i i did i really leaned back into partnering with my body and focusing on patience and appreciating like, yes, this is what my body did for me. And I have this gift of this beautiful, healthy baby. And from that point, it was the weight's going to come off. The weight's going to come off. It was just, this is where I really leaned on the principles of LCS. And that mindset piece was so crucial. And I knew that the way that I was feeling was normal and everything that Mm -hmm. I was thinking was also normal, given the society, given my history, given all of those things. And I just had power thoughts over and over again. And I will say to Jacqueline that my sister is actually a registered dietitian um, now. Okay. So I leaned on her a lot from a nutritional standpoint, because, you know, at the time, again, I was like really leaning into intuitive eating and doing those sorts of things. And there were times where I was like, my cravings are out of control. And I'm like, I don't think I'm eating enough. Like my body was telling me, I don't think I'm eating enough. So Mm -hmm. I was so grateful, you know, for her and she's my go-to for everything. She's my built-in best friend. We're like a year apart. So, but I really, you know, on her to, to help me through that and navigating, you know, breastfeeding and, you know, what I needed for myself and my baby. And Mm because I had calorie counted for almost a decade and I worked so hard to unwind that habit and I was like I cannot go down that rabbit hole for me if I started calorie counting that was like as if if I started binging again Mm -hmm. then it was like for me if I did that with calorie counting then I would have opened Pandora's box and so I worked really hard to steer clear of that but what I will say about the whole like pregnancy and I'm going on a tangent but What I will say about the whole pregnancy experience was that it was the best time to truly practice intuitive eating and intuitive movement, because Mm -hmm. you can't not listen to your body when you're pregnant. It's screaming at you 24 seven. It is literally screaming at you 24 seven. So that was the beauty. 
it's there's a lot of things you said there firstly with intuitive eating into a movement you said this in the beginning of the podcast too but i i used to think like it's only intuitive eating that's the best way to eat always but there are things that your body messes up there are things that your body gets wrong that sort of stuff so it is important to like you said maybe get the help of a third party or a registered uh, dietitian that's perfect about that too, is it's not going down the calorie counting route. You can ask and work with someone that says, Hey, don't tell me what calories I'm eating. Just tell me what types of food, the amounts of food that I should be eating, general recommendations. And that you, I always say you can combine intuitive eating with other diets or with other skills. You know, like if you are structured, doing structured eating, which can be important for people, especially in the beginning of recovery, you can apply principles like listening to your body along with what you're doing. And with your, oh my goodness, my dog's getting food. Um, he has a little robot feeder and it's going off right now. I need to change it because it's so distracting. Um, no, it's okay. But, I can hear it. Yeah. Yeah. With what you're saying about, oh no, now my brain has gone completely out the coop. About intentional eating? Intentional eating. I was just going to say <laughs> that intuitive eating it's really, really helpful, but I do feel like intentional eating, like you're saying, can be extremely helpful combined with it. And when pregnancy, like you're saying, any challenging time in your life, but a pregnancy especially, it's a perfect time, like you're saying, to actually practice new ways of eating and listening to your body. I think it's a crucial skill to combine with anything. So the last thing I wanted to talk to you about, there's a few other things I want to talk to you about, but one of them is how do you deal with urges now when you still get them? What are they like and how do you deal with them? Yeah. Um, great question. So my urges right now are just like, I would be nice to have some ice cream at okay. 8.30 at night when I'm already mm -hmm. in bed. Um, and I will say, Jacqueline, like there's times where I'm like, you know what? I want some and I'm going to have some. And then there's times where I use the tools that I give my clients in my program and mm -hmm. I sit with it and I just recognize and tell myself what an urge actually is, which is just thought errors. And I just remind myself that the thoughts I'm thinking, of course, I'm thinking them and it's not a problem. And I also remind myself that the urge is going to go away, whether I eat or not. That's just what mm -hmm. happens naturally. And I think that so often the urge itself is a product of a busy mind, you know, and when we're too like, especially after a busy day, when we're stressed or, you know, again, if we have kids, children, spouses, dogs, dog moms, whatever mm -hmm. we are you know, after a long day, at least, you know, for me personally, it's the only time if I'm experiencing urges that they come up. And so I just always normalize it. I'm just like, of course, of course, I'm thinking this, of course, I'm feeling mm -hmm. this. And I always just remind myself, like, I can be with this, I can sit with this urge, this is not a problem. It's just a feeling. And it's gonna go, it's gonna go away, whether I eat or not. Yeah, sometimes that's the I other do. thing I wanted to talk to you about that you said before was, normalizing what you're thinking there's so much shame and thoughts attached to it and I do find there's a lot of power in me like of course I think this especially with your history eating disorders whenever I have weird thoughts to purge or binge or shut down or even sometimes I have urges for alcohol I'm like of course I would think this I've just had a really busy day this is this was my coping mechanism for years this makes total sense my brain is trying to shut down in any way possible and it's sending up signals for that and I find that when you can just even before you try to change something, try to do something about it, can just be like, this makes sense. There's there's so much freedom in that. And you could just kind of sit with it. I feel like It's like when someone is confused, especially let's say like a dog, if a dog is confused, it doesn't understand what's going on. It's more likely to be 
violent and scared and defensive because it's scared. It doesn't understand what's happening. But the moment you say like, this makes sense, you are able to let them know that they are safe, they're okay. And just as a default thing of their brain, then we're kind of losing the metaphor, but like they would be much more likely to calm down. Same as a human, right? Like once you understand something, you're much more likely to be calmer and then be able to handle it more appropriately. Right. And, and one other thing that I do too, Jacqueline, that's mm -hmm. like just worth mentioning for your listeners is that not only just like normalize the thought, but remind yourself, yeah, I expected it. Like I expected this mm. thought to be here because I, I think in a lot of my clients that I work with too, they get, they almost anticipate that if they've been having urges or binge urges for the last three nights on the fourth night, they get pissed that they have a binge <laughs> yeah. urge. They're mm -hmm. like, Stella, and then they message me and they're all worked up. They're in, a, you know, they're in a frenzy and they're like, Stella, I'm so upset. I'm experiencing a binge urge right now. Why am I getting this? And I'm like, how, tell me how it makes actual sense that you've had these binge urges for the last three nights. It's the fourth night in a row and you're still experiencing it. Like, how mm -hmm. does it make, make so much sense? The problem comes because you're not expecting it. You're expecting that you're not having it rather than expecting that you should have it, that you will have right. it. Yeah. Because that's where it's like the expectation gap. I'm like, you just, rather than not expecting it, expect that you are going to have the urges, welcome it, allow it to be there. We're not fighting it. We're just going to just, yeah, hey, oh, hey, girlfriend. Just like, oh, hey, of course you're here. What's up? Yeah. Sit next to me. Come the along for the party. What's up, girlfriend? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just treat it like it's a third. Yeah. There's something I said a long time ago about, like, what if you had urges for the rest of your life? Like, what if you went in with the mindset that no matter what you did, you'd have that urge for the rest of your life? And of course, thankfully, it seems the same way for you. It's it's not all the time. It's not 24-7. It's every once in a while. Um but I think of chronic illnesses people have to deal with, chronic injuries, like they have a limb removed or they have some sort of condition. I remember there was one thing with this, this guy, something happened with his diaphragm. He literally had to relearn how to breathe and it was not automatic anymore, which is just crazy to think about, you know, but people adapt to certain things and they adapt because they almost have this radical acceptance of the fact that this is here and they still want to live. So therefore they need to learn how to deal with it. Urges, of course, you're going in with the hope that they will eventually be less uh, urgent and less frequent and less intense. But I do think that when you can go in with radical acceptance of, oh, of course it's here, um, come on in, this is expected, then you're less likely to freak out and react differently because you knew it was coming, like you're saying. Right, and I think that also too, Jacqueline, I wanna offer that when it comes to urges, it's if we expect that they're gonna be here forever, then again, it like takes the temperature down immediately from them. Mm -hmm. it, again, it's just, it, it, and I love your analogy of like a nagging injury. Like I have a hamstring injury from running. Um, I ran New York, oh my God, circa 11 years ago. And I have a nagging oh. hamstring injury, you know, that just mm -hmm. whenever I, you know, start to pick up my mileage or whatever, it keeps coming up for me. But again, I go into, this is normal. I expect it. This isn't a problem mm -hmm. and I just deal with it. So, yep. and one thing I want to share too, it's like, you know, I often give my clients this analogy of like, listen, if you're walking into a bakery with your kids and you smell the aroma of amazing fresh baked goods, 
of fucking course you're going to want to eat something. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. of, of course you're going to want to. That's that's the whole purpose of the bakery. Normal people it's, would want to eat something. It's not just because exactly. they're disordered. Mm -hmm. Exactly. You know, and I will say, Jacqueline, my, I grew up and my mom, uh, my mom is, she is the incredible, beautiful little Greek woman, but she has been the exact same weight range my entire life. She is unfazed by food she is what our society would deem as a normal eater and mm. she it, you know she at times she's I study her I have analyzed her all like uh, until the cows have come home and <laughs> she's just like yeah if I want it I have it if I don't I don't and then she'll like bake something she's like oh this smells so good I can't wait to try some yeah, you know, and so I even use her as an analogy. I'm like, listen, my mom is a normal eater, and even she will get down with her bag of Doritos sometimes. You know, that's just yeah. that's just what she does. But she, the the difference between normal eaters and anyone who struggles with disordered eating is that they're not making themselves wrong. They're not beating themselves up. There's none of this like shaming and any of that stuff that's going on on top of their eating episode. Mm -hmm. And that's yeah. The that's the biggest difference. It really is. It's the biggest difference. And if you can really understand that, then uh, it is the next steps toward true recovery. No, you can stop. Even though you are struggling with eating disorder, you can stop identifying so much with it. I find that people with eating disorders, they're so harsh on themselves for things that normal people do. And they have such a story behind it of like, this is so disordered. This is so messed up. I shouldn't want this. And it's like, no. A lot of normal eaters, you you don't let someone eat who's like perfectly normal food. You don't let them eat for a whole day. They're likely going to overeat or binge and they're not going to view it as a binge. They're going to be like, I haven't eaten all day. I'm so hungry. Or they, like you said, have something they're looking forward to. Like, I can't wait to eat this. I can't wait to indulge. I can't wait to have two pieces or three because it's so good. And then because they trust themselves, because they understand it's not this big thing, they're able to move on, trust their hunger signals and not eat again until they're hungry or until they want food again. And it works out. That's such such a brilliant way to put it but um yeah I agree normal normal eaters do a lot of stuff that disordered eater, eaters do but disordered eaters have this whole story behind it that makes it 10 times worse right they make it such a mm -hmm. problem and they make it about yeah. them yeah mm -hmm. yeah well I know that we're wrapping up so I wanted to ask you if there's we've you already given a lot of excellent advice but is there one if you could only tell someone one thing to help them with their um eating disorder and recovery what would you tell them Oh, so many things that I could mm -hmm. say right now. Um, you know, obviously, listen, if you're listening to this podcast and you follow Jacqueline, you already have proof that healing is, it's possible for you. Um, you already have proof with her. You have proof with me and my story. Here I am too, you know, recovered almost a decade at this point. And what we just talked about, I, I want to kind of go in on even more. So what happens is that there is unicorn syndrome. And that's what mm. prevents people from truly taking that step toward healing. And the unicorn syndrome is really like, yeah, well, everyone else can heal, but I can't. I'm the one that's going to be dealing with this forever. I'm the one that's going to be binging and purging forever. And I know mm -hmm. because I used to think that too. Jacqueline, I'm sure you probably thought that in the yeah. period of your life, right? And the reason why unicorn syndrome continues to keep us in what I call the quicksand is because the moments after we binge, the moments after we purge, 
I teach my clients that that's the most magical moment to understand and address and really look at the patterns of your binging and your purging. I have a whole um, I have a whole sheet in my program called the Detecting Diet Brain Sheet because mm. I encourage my clients to get out of self-loathing and shift into being a detective in those exact moments. Because when you're too busy thinking you're a unicorn, you're what you're doing in those moments post-binge and post-purge is that you're continuing binging. You're still yeah, binging. You're not you're being binging productive. On, a hundred percent. You're still binging on how much food you ate and how much you didn't get up when you, when you vomited or, or whatever that looks like for you, you're still binging on the bullshit. You're still binging on the nonsense <laughs> rather than bin, rather than truly binging on finding what worked, finding what didn't, what were your thoughts? What were your emotions? What was, what were the environmental triggers that caused you to engage in that disordered eating? Mm -hmm. And so my biggest advice would be to if you want to stop thinking that you are the unicorn, then start analyzing and assessing those exact moments after you binge, after you purge, like stop making it personal, look at it for what it is and really start to dissect and um, become a detective rather than be a dick to yourself. Like that would be my yeah. biggest. That would so be what my you biggest. had binging on the bullshit I'm going to write that, like I'm going to put that in an email and write that down <laughs> after this. That's great. Um, but also, yeah, I love that. The unicorn syndrome, I don't think I've heard that, but I obviously knew exactly what you meant. And something I do, whenever I talk to someone new, they almost always ask me in some sort of way, do you think it's possible for me though? Mm -hmm. And I I always tell them, yeah, I do. Firstly, because you're human, you can change, blah, blah, blah. But also I I talked about why they're still binging and they think it's just because they, they have a problem that they're weird, that they're the unicorn, but really... They're just not using the tools or they're not using them correctly. Um, and they have a really messed up belief systems about those tools. And then, yeah, they continue, they get, they try it once. Maybe they don't try it for long enough. Like there's so many little things that they're doing wrong. And it's not because they, they don't understand, they're not um, capable. It's just that they don't understand how to use them correctly or how to use them long enough. They're just, it's like an example I used a while ago with someone was if someone kept coming into surgery to get their knee fixed. And they were like, my knee keeps breaking, but you find out later they keep beating their knee in with a hammer. It's like, well, it's not the knee's fault. It's the hammer. You need to stop using the hammer to beat the knee in, right? It's not you, it's the tools. So um, I couldn't agree more with what you're saying to stop being a unicorn, stop binging in the bullshit, stop making it personal and start looking at what's going on. Yeah. And one thing I, I want to offer too, is that it is mm -hmm. so easy. It's easy to make it personal. It's mm, easy yeah. to make it about you. The hard mm. part is to actually stop doing that. The hard part is to assess. The hard part is to say, you know what? This isn't a Stella problem or a Jacqueline problem or a whatever your name is listening to this podcast problem. The harder <laughs> part is to say, yeah, let me actually look at this because this is going to inch me closer to the life that I actually deserve and want for myself. That's the mm -hmm. hard part. That's why I, I call it, I don't even know if that's a syndrome. I don't know. I just made it up. It's a it's great like, name for it. Yeah. It's like, but, you know, and, and I know for me that kept me stuck in it for pretty much my entire twenties, my entire twenties of a decade where it was just literally me thinking that this is a Stella problem and I'm just fucked up and I'm never mm -hmm. going to overcome it. Yeah. No, but. there's no reason to think that, but it, you're right. It is easy. I think it's, what's that? It's actually a, a syndrome. It's some sort of 
condition but you know when when you when someone cuts you off in traffic it's because they're a bad person when you cut someone off in traffic it's because you were busy it's because you weren't paying attention it's because of that like we're it's so easy to reflect towards ourselves something different than we see for other people um I don't know what that actual condition is called but we oh all is it, it like um um like thinking the world's against you type thinking is, is that what you're talking what you're no like worst case scenario we're able, we rationalize differently for ourselves than we do other people. And mm -hmm. sometimes it's in a negative way. Sometimes it's in a positive way, but we, we think we tend to think in a way that serves us best, even though, even if it's faulty, it's really not serving even us. If it's, yeah. Completely. False, yeah. yeah. And what you said about like, if making it personal is easy, you're totally right. It's very easy to, cause your brain wants to find a simple solution as well. So it's like, Oh, what, what's the obvious solution? Oh, it's you, you're the issue. Right. And it's like, well, no, that's not necessarily the case. Right yeah okay we could talk about this forever but what um where can people find you oh sure sure so my website is ditchdiabrain.com and on social media on instagram you can find me at stella q rivers okay it's very simple i love the ditch diet brain too um and i, I just want to say I, all the advice here you offered amazing and i love that you are open to talking about weight loss and being a little bit more contradictory in the eating disorder world even though it obviously shouldn't be that much of a contradiction um or uh what's the term i'm looking for like inflammatory like thing but it yeah. is so i just want to commend you for being brave about that too thank you i appreciate that yeah i will say you know as a coach i think it's amazing and once we wear the coach hat we have our own insecurities and our vulnerabilities and it it is hard to speak our truth and i'm working through all of that myself in my own business and what I say and my stance and I do I love talking about weight loss I do I love it I love it I love helping my clients with that and I don't think that there's a problem with that at all so mm -hmm. yeah it's awesome yeah. it's awesome to speak your truth yeah absolutely um all right well I'll let you go thank you so much for being on Stella thank you for having me it's been an honor Hey, if you found this episode helpful, check out my website at bingebreakers.com. It has free courses, awesome group coaching, and private coaching available to you right now.